All right, what we are going to do is just to declare the word of God, which will kindle our spirits to be able to pick up what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. As you have declared, that is your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The word that you need for this season, it is coming to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. What you need. We don't move from one place to the other, one level to another by our strength. We move by the infusion of the Spirit of God. That word that will carry that Spirit into your life will come to you today in the name of Jesus. Naturally speaking, I have a lot of things you know, but they don't seem to work. Are you getting my point? A, a, A man came to Jesus. He said, one thing you lack. Many times in life, it's just one thing. It's not many things. It's just one thing. So that one thing you lack for this season that you need, God will reveal it to you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, Pastor Paul used to say something, that the soul cannot imbibe truth until it requires it. That is, you can know many things intellectually, but in reality, there's one that is really needed, that is kindled in your heart. So the Spirit will kindle the truth you need, you will receive it today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we give you praise for the presence of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Greet somebody as you are sitting down. Tell the person, wisdom is your portion. Yeah, tell somebody as wisdom is your portion. The wisdom of heaven, that's your portion. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, open, let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 34. The book of Psalms, chapter 34. We want to continue what we have been studying concerning the culture of faith. And what we have been saying by that is that faith produces. If faith is real, it produces for us tangible things outwardly. Like I said, your faith is not working because you got some material blessing. That is not a sign that your faith is working. Your faith is not working because you prayed for a car and you got it. You prayed for a wife and you got one. That is not a sign, really, that your faith is working. One thing that only God can do, which is a sign that we really have faith in him, is to change us as individuals. If you want to know whether your faith is really working, it's not whether I got you money, it's whether I stopped your hot temper. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because nobody else can do that for you. If you want to know whether your faith is working, it's not whether it got you something you've painted on the wall and you focused on it, that may not be faith. That can be simple spiritualism, like we call it. These things, they seem to work. Where faith works, where nothing else can work, is when it comes to changing somebody. You know, the other day, my brother-in-law asked me a question. He said, Pastor, he said, do you believe that people change? Now, him asking that question for me was interesting at that point because I've reasoned. I also understand that, that people actually, it's very hard for them to change. Having observed life, that's when I realized the power of the Lord Jesus is actually the only person that can change people. Do you understand? The truth is that Jesus changes people. He can change you even though your circumstances did not change. You just encounter him, you are different. 
Do you follow my point? It's whether you've encountered Jesus or you haven't that makes the difference. Very important we get that point. Jesus is real. He actually changes people. He's not a method. He's not a method. He's a person. He takes a spirit out of somebody and puts a new spirit inside that individual. He's the only person that can do it. That is why that is a place where we test whether our faith is genuine or our faith is not genuine. All right? You can go to a very rich man and he gives you money. He can't give you patience. He can't give you self-control. No matter how much money do you pay, you have to pay the best doctors in the world. They're all over the world trying every day. These movie stars, these um, uh, musicians, they, have, they earn millions and millions of dollars. Every year, many of them will pocket five, ten million dollars. Yet they have an addiction. They've paid the best doctors. They've gone to the best rehab centers. Nothing changes. Why? I mean, I, I was reading the statistics. They said, I think drug rehab and um, alcohol rehab, 90% will be back before the year is over. 10% are the ones that will not come back that year. We don't know when they will come back. Do you follow my point? But you know, I was listening to, my, my wife too was listening to Kenneth Hagin again in a particular series, The Praise Cure. And the priest cure, he told the story of Lillian B. Yeomans again. And Lillian B. Yeomans was an, is an American-Canadian doctor who, because of the pressure of her work, started sneaking in small, small narcotics. You understand? Then morphine was the main thing. So she started using morphine until she became addicted to morphine. And after becoming addicted to morphine, now she was a doctor practicing in the, you know, the best countries in the world. They did, tried everything for her. Nothing worked. Finally, they knew this woman was going to die. And the man just gave her a book or reminded her of something. She began to read the Bible. Just said to her that Jesus is a healer. She began to read the Bible. And in one week, how long did I say? In one week, all her addiction to narcotics was gone. Ah, so she looked at the Bible, looked at medical certificates. This medical certificate is a waste of time. <laughs> so she abandoned medical practice just for the purpose of explaining to people that Jesus actually heals. And that was what now defined her life. She became a healing minister. Some people are called to ministry. I've anointed you. No, she, she just had an experience. And she said, I need to share this experience. And that was how God called her actually into ministry. That's a sign that faith is working. It's, there are things that only Jesus can do. That is why we want to test whether your faith is working. Don't test it where in things that everybody can do. <laughs> test it where only him can work. He's the one that can change your heart. He's the one that can turn life around for you, show you that the things you thought mattered does not matter. You follow my point? And he will change you from inside. That's how it works. That's why I said that your faith is not working just because it got to material things. You want to know whether your faith is working or it's not working? Check how it is transforming you. Check how it is giving you contentment. Check how it is making you more patient. Check, check how that faith is transforming your character so that people will look at you and say, are you sure you are the same person? Then you know your faith is working. All right? So back to what we're saying. So that's why we're talking about the culture of faith. We have to emphasize that because sometimes Christians get they misunderstand what Paul taught. They misunderstand the message that Paul preached, righteousness that is by faith. And that was why James had to write. James was not saying that works all right, is what is important. He was saying that if the faith is genuine, the works will be present. That's what he was trying to say. He was saying that there's no genuineness of faith if there is no physical or, or let's say outward manifestation. So if a man who was lying gave his life to Christ, he cannot say, I can tell lies into eternity. 
He shouldn't be bragging on that. No, he shouldn't be. You should know that there are certain things right now on this earth. There are things that God wants him to do that his lying tongue will not allow him to enter into. And there is no faith that can override that. Because if faith was genuine, it would remove the lie. Are you getting my point here? So that's what we're talking about. I just feel like reviewing that again for us briefly. So we said she opened up the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 34. So like we're saying, that's why Paul writes in two levels. Paul that is often misunderstood. People don't read him well. That is why. Paul will always establish the fundamental truths and then give us the spiritual truths concerning the things that, that is, he will not give us the practical application of the things that he has taught us as fundamental spiritual truth. So, let's open this, um, let's read this Psalm 34. Let's read from verse um, 8. We are going to read about, um, we'll read to verse 14. He said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. To those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Verse 11. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is a man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? This is what the man should do. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Let's read the next few verses. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. That's verse 15. And his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears. And delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's quickly open again to the book of, um, the same uh, book. Let's just go back to uh, um, chapter 24. We read six verses here. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. Now notice verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? This is how the person is. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face even Jacob. Now, we need to read one more, which we have been reading again and again, so that we use that one to connect with um, our general series. Let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I have established this many times, that from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul was giving us the fundamental spiritual basis, or like we say in modern um, learning, we say the theory. Theory doesn't mean that the thing is not true. It just means that is the abstract side of it. Now, this practical side, Paul now began to read from, uh, say, from verse 17. So I say, verse 17 now, Ephesians chapter 4, And I affirm together with the Lord 
that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the loss of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Please, I need to read that verse 27. And do not, that read it again. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He says, he who steals must steal no longer. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, that is, by doing the, these things, but he said, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The Lord is good. Now, we've done a lot of reading. David Paulson says he likes to do a lot of Bible reading. You know his reason? He says so that even if he likes, he can talk nonsense after that, you'll still be blessed. That is no, that is not possible for you to read the Bible and not learn something. Whether the preacher knows what he's saying or he doesn't. I'm not hoping to say any nonsense anyway. <laughs> now, I just read all of this because those are the things that um, underlie what I'm going to explain today. Remember, what we're talking about is the culture of faith. We said that religion is the essence of culture, and culture is a cloak of religion. That is, if you find faith, how you see it is the things it produces outside. If you see the practices of a people, it is based upon what they believe. Do you understand my point? For example, you hear, if you get to Western Nigeria, you see names like Baba Tunde, Baba Jide. It's basically a belief in reincarnation. Are you getting my point? You know, it's a belief in reincarnation. All right, they will have imposed, I'm sure some people tried to impose that name on my little boy, Victory, when he was born. But because of my faith, I said, forget it. It may look like his grandfather is a problem between the two of them. I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, name him, a name like Baba Tunde just because... You see, and it was born like a month after my dad was buried. You understand my point? So, very, very perfect description. But my faith is too strong for all of that. The Bible says it's given unto man once to die. After that, 
judgment. You can't have a second run at this thing. It's not allowed. <laughs> you get my point. So no matter what it is, I refuse that. You see, those names drop away naturally. They keep dropping. They keep dropping. We will find another explanation for the resemblance. We will find another explanation for things that may otherwise have portended, you know, people have interpreted them as a matter of reincarnation. But having listened to the words of the Lord Jesus, having listened to the things that the apostles and the prophets taught, we do not find that truth established in their words. So we can't believe it. We can't believe it. No matter how much proof you want to bring, just by the way, that is why, listen to me, life is spiritual. Now, I'll get back to my message. In case I forget where I was, remind me that I was talking about names and reincarnation and babatunde and stuff like that, okay? Just remind me that that's where I was, talking about the culture of Christianity. Christianity produces its own culture. It affects the way we name our children. All right, when I say all kinds, like I was saying, I hear all kinds of names these days. When you hear, uh, you hear uh, Lionka's son's name, that one is a sentence. Or Babi or Lorun will see that is, there is no king like God. Don't shorten it to that is the name. Do you follow my point? That is just the name. Do you follow? Now, that's, uh, so it's, it, that's why many of us are changing our names. That's a matter of fact. You, my name, Olushino, was not what my father used all the days of his life. Okay? If you see any Olushino, is a Christian. It's a new culture. I'm telling you. The names that existed before were Ogushino, Fashino, you know, things like that, which reflected the dominance of the gods. As we began to understand the face of the Lord Jesus, we realized that Jesus said, whose likeness and whose inscription are these? And they say Caesar's. So he identified the coin by the likeness and the inscription. And your name is your number one inscription. So I said, the God that I belong to, his name should be on my head. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. You cannot be, I mean, you can't, <laughs> you, my wife is coming. Now say, ah, Mrs. Okemuti, how are you doing? You no, know, there will be trouble in, in the neighborhood. Are you getting my point? Yeah, there will be trouble. My wife is coming. You're calling her Mrs. Okemuti. You get what I'm saying? We'll fight. We'll post him to where he will suffer. <laughs> because who's likeness and who's inscription? Sometimes people say that they must husband and wife bear the same name. It's your problem if you don't want to bear the same name. My husband and my wife, are you getting my point? <laughs> Me, <laughs> we'll bear the same name. Whose likeness and whose inscription are these? That's why you don't, you hear some news some people bear. Ha! I look at them and say, you don't believe in prophecy. You don't, because if you believe in prophecy, you can't be carrying that kind of rubbish name about. Let me not start analyzing names now so that you won't disappear into your chair. Some people have names that mean the gods have rejected me. Which is even good. <laughs> which means <laughs> I'm acceptable to Christ. <laughs> no, there's, you know, there are names I can't bear. We're going to give birth to this one. Or more. And I'm a preacher. If I were Jesus, I would remove the anointing. Anytime you want to climb the pulpit, I come out my anointing. So let Ogun give you his own. Now I'll be wondering why your son is a thug. Your son will be a thug because Ogun has to give him a knife, a cutlass, a gun, any metallic objects. <laughs> because they call him the god of iron. No, there are names like, like I know go grill. I can't. If, I, I can't carry. How will you be? Names are prophetical. They are very prophetic. That's why I'm not going to carry any rubbish name just because it's from our place. What is our place? Our place is heaven. I hope you know we're all from the same tribe. Everybody here. If you're not from my tribe, that means you're not born again. If you're born again, me and you are from the same tribe. 
our Amorite-ness and our Hittite-ness can be any other thing. Like God said to Israel, your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. So your father can come from anywhere. But you, ha, you are from heaven. Your citizenship is in Christ Jesus. And it must reflect in how you prophesy upon yourself and upon your children. Now, so that's what we're talking about. Now, I know that I was only digressing somewhere, okay? I know where I was digressing to. I was saying that, listen, things may occur on the earth. How you interpret things is what the Bible calls mind. Let's go over that again. Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How you interpret things is what Jesus is demanding that you change. That is why don't let anybody use testimonies to build a doctrine for you. There was one girl. She could not make progress until we went to the village and cut down a tree. So today, if your life is stagnated, we are going to cut down the tree of your destiny that has been planted and retarded. We will say, there's another young man. He was going on and on and on. Nothing was working. Then when I spoke to him, I realized that his mother was in a court. And she did, she, when, when he was a baby, they put an egg in a pot. And that egg has been covered. We now went to the village. We broke the pot. And after that, we began to make progress. Listen to me, people of God, in a story. What did I say? Story. How you interpret it is now the difference between you and me. Between one person and the other. Did it happen like that? Really, I don't care. I really don't care. But if this interpretation, if the interpretation you are now giving it for me, is that every child of God will go and be quizzing the father, quizzing the mother, and then going home to look for pots to break, then bros, you are not a Christian. Look, we can hear all kinds of stories. But how do we interpret it? This is Christianity. That I take the stories I hear and interpret it with the word of God. A few examples I like to use. Saul went to battle and there he died. Ahab went to battle and there he died. What's the interpretation of what happened? Do you understand? In Saul's case, the Bible says clearly, and Saul died for the trespass he committed against the Lord. That's it. That is summary. Let's summarize like that. So all the analysis of who was the commanding officer for the day. You can take what happened, take it to a military school to analyze how to protect the king in the next battle. Is it relevant? When God wants to kill the next king, he will do something else. This particular king died for the trespass he committed against the Lord. That is Christian interpretation of things. Now, I'm going to bring out something here. You must learn to interpret your life from a spiritual perspective according to the recorded word of God. Not according to people's testimonies. It's very important we understand, we understand these things. It's very crucial. Because what I find a lot of times is that people are interpreting life based on stories. They came to Jesus and said, who sinned that this one should be born blind? Listen, that, now another point I should make. Many of these interpretations we appear valid. That is why you must spend time more reading your Bible. Because if you pay attention to many interpretations, you may, will almost be swayed. Why am I saying this? When they said to Jesus, who sinned that this one should be, should be born blind? 
You know that they said they gave a number of options. Was in him or his parents. Now I guess the reason why adults like Peter, adults like James, John, we ask who sinned. Was it the man that was born? You said he was born blind. You're not asking me, did he sin? You know what I think? Somebody had come to teach them reincarnation. Yes, somebody had come to teach them reincarnation. The doctrines of um, Ekanka had moved into their midst. Once I was driving home, I, I, I decided to put on the radio in my car, and I caught an Ekanka stand, sorry, <laughs> a radio station. And I caught, I ran into a gist by, they were interviewing Ekanka people. And that day, I had a good laugh. I couldn't put it off. I said, Father, thank you for making me know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not funny for adults to be confused like this. They said, is it true sins can be forgiven? He said, how can your sins be forgiven? Who will forgive it? I felt like, I said, it's Jesus Christ. You don't know him. That's what your problem is. They said, any sin you commit, you will come back and pay. And there was one woman, her husband was maltreating her. Maltreating her. And then when they checked, don't ask me how they checked. But when they checked, they found out that she was also his wife, maybe like 700 A.D., I do. They didn't give dates. I mean, they add my date. Join now. And then she maltreated him. Thank you. It's now payback time. For every hot oil she poured on him that time, now each one is dirty slaps, beating, pummeling. So the question I wanted to ask is: Now that you have found out, what shall we do about it? I wish I could get in there that day and ask them, bros. Thank you very much. So what are you saying? She should just enjoy it. Until she dies, then next life, the guy go here. <laughs> to be, at that time, to be my turn. <laughs> now, I suppose that's the kind of thing that happened to Peter and Co. That's why I decided asking questions like, who sinned that this one should be born blind? Was it him? And listen to me, they will have stories to tell. If I wanted to believe in reincarnation, when my boy was born, it was too perfect. When we were planning my dad's funeral, my auntie told me straight. My wife was pregnant, visibly pregnant. I mean, she was heavy. By that time, she was like seven months or so. My auntie said to me, your wife is going to have a boy. I said, until I take no. He said, that's how it goes. <laughs> ah, I'm serious. And you know what annoyed me was the confidence with which he said it. I was wishing this girl, your born me girl, just to make auntie wrong. When she delivered, and he said, oh, your wife has delivered. What would she have said? But I told you now. I told you. Maybe she was queuing up to give me a reincarnated name. Yorubas have a culture that if a child is born with a prominent birthmark, he's a reincarnated person. My son was, was born with a prominent one on his cheek. A boy born like three weeks after his grandfather was buried with a birthmark. What else do you need as proof? There's only one problem. It is given unto man who wants to die. And since my father was not caught up to heaven, do you understand my point? He was certified dead by a medical doctor who was the chairman at my wedding. So he knows the family very well. And we did a normal funeral. The Bible says it can't be him. So if victory wants to think that he will not be a senior boy in the house, <laughs> I will beat submission into his head.
because I believe the word of God. Are you getting my point here? That's Christian culture. We have to find other explanations from the word of God to explain many of these things. My auntie calls me Baba till tomorrow. That's my mom's, one of my mom's elder sisters. She's alive and well today. If she talks to me on the phone, she, in those days when we were young, she would say, ah, Baba, how are you? Look at your house. The fence at the back has collapsed. What are we going to do about it? She addressed me as Baba from that time till now. My, my auntie is 80 something. She talks to me today. I am Baba. Sometimes she doesn't even say Baba. She says, My Baba. Why? Because I was the next son born after my mother's father died. And my mother will tell you that I behave like her father. That when I'm walking, I walk like he used to walk. She will tell you that my waist is like her father's waist, literally. <laughs> I'm not joking, no. What I'm telling you. Then when she not noticed that people like, let me give you an example now. Some people like sports cars. If you see me in a sports car, it's not my own. I'm test driving it. Even if they dash it to me, I won't keep it. I will swap it with a bigger car. But when you see a car that is big, he has size. You start suspecting, that must be pastor's car. The bigger it is, the more righteous, in my opinion. See the car I'm driving right now? It's poverty. When the Lord has broken through upon me, <laughs> I'm going to drop the car and drive something that's more Abrahamic. Are you getting my point? That, that is the way I reason. <laughs> now, I'm going somewhere with all of these things. As I was growing, my mother was noticing those tendencies. And she said, this is exactly how her father used to behave too. That you had to cut his things big. You wanted to cut meat for him. It had to be a massive size. So one day we were just talking, just talking about me. I don't like how these people be driving small cars. I said, no. I said, that's exactly how my... But mommy, I'm not your father. <laughs> no matter how much I behave like him. I am not. Now, please, you are getting the point I'm making. Now, so, no matter how much the physical appearance looks like it confirms something, if the doctrine is not established by the prophets, if the doctrine is not established by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's not established by the apostles and prophets who are the foundation of the New Testament, sorry, we drop it. That is why, no matter what you want to tell me, my auntie placed a curse on our family. That's why I'm not making progress. It's one of two things. Either you have not given your life to Christ, in which case such things happen, or you are telling me lies. You are lazy, you are ignorant, you're not focusing on what God has said to you, and you want me to now join you in deliverance prayers. If you are reading some books telling you that your, your destiny is in a pot, I think your head is not correct. I think you don't have work. That a witch can cook your destiny is not the word of God. I've seen people tell you, they saw the vision. You saw visions of witches killing junior witches. What's my problem? It doesn't apply to me. And listen, and please, I need to explain this to Christians. Those things you hear people discuss. Look, I'm from Western Nigeria. No wonder God brought the gospel to that angle. Because the jazz that was there, 
The Lord said, let's neutralize it too. Otherwise, <laughs> no, what I'm telling you is that it's not a joke. When I heard, I believe in many stories I hear from credible people. All kinds of testimonies. Those guys used to do serious witchcraft too. I'm not joking about I, I'm aware of that. I'm aware. I believe that. Look, I may not have a personal experience, but we have enough credible stories to know those things really used to happen. I've told you before, the most credible story I had was from my mom's, my mom's the one that told me the story. Her head, you know, the headmaster of her school, when she was the assistant, told her the story direct. It was about him. His wife, who is now married, who we all knew, you understand? At least my mom knew, I didn't know him much. Okay? When he wanted to marry the young woman, her father refused. And he went to, for people, for, went to people for counsel. And he said the solution is to kill the man. He was telling a story about his own life. So it's not, this is close enough for me to believe to be credible. That the man told her that, hey, they told him where to go. And he went. Of course, when they say kill him, they don't mean assassin. They don't mean pay somebody to carry a gun. They meant kill him spiritually. And he went there and narrated the issue to the man. And the man said, no problem. The man told him what to bring, what to do. And they did everything and gave him a knife and put either a glass or, a, or, or water in front of him and told him that you will see him inside the water. When he, when he appears, stab him, he will die. So he gave him the knife. And the man did all these incantations. He said before his eyes, this man appeared in the water before him. And he had the knife in his hand. They told him, kill him. He said at that point in time, pity Compassion came upon him. I told the man, thank you for your services. Dropped the knife, got up and left. By the time he traveled back home, the man had changed his mind. Now, there are many more stories. A friend of mine, he said, when he finished youth service, all right? This friend of mine, when he finished, was my classmate. When he finished youth service, he said, he served in Oshun or Ogun. One of those western states. He said, Banky, I won't lie to you. When I finished NYSC, I started asking my patients, did you offend somebody? He said, I saw mysterious illnesses. Things I couldn't explain. He said, when you hear the story, how it happened? Ah, you start, he said, they tell him that, look, okay, this one, now person do him. Initially, he came there like a medically qualified. I went to school, I know. So after a few months, he was converted. <laughs> he said, I, I started asking people, did you offend somebody? Told me the story of one policeman whose hands started swelling. Why? Because his landlord did him like this. Why? For defiling one of his wives. The man said, okay. Think of a policeman. I'm taking your case to the host in the spiritual realm. One of one spirit gave him a bite in the hand. <laughs> My friend did all kinds of investigations, did everything. There was nothing. The swelling the man's hand progressed until he got to his chest and he died. My brother, when he finished telling me stories, <laughs> now you go, next time they carry you to Western Nigeria. Ask Alayenka. Baba Olobu, they are all over the place. That's why they, you know, we, how many. All these uh, herba healers you see in Enugu, that's not from that side. No, how many Yubo men have you seen saying that uh, they are Osa? They are not, they don't, they can't Osa anything. 
They even brag about it. That look, original grandson of Odudua. Ah, he knows what he's saying. <laughs> the Lord is good. Now, why I'm saying all of these things, please follow me. I don't know why I'm sitting on this, this um, evening. Why I'm saying all of these things is that I am not here to tell you things like that don't happen. Because many people have misunderstood me before when I'm preaching. They say, I don't know what's going on in Africa. Of course I do. I'm just saying what is going on in the, in the heaven of Christ is far above every of these powers. That's why I'm not afraid. It's not because I'm ignorant. That's why I can walk on the streets of any, anywhere in Nigeria, including these parts of the country I'm talking, telling you about. And I'm not afraid of anybody. I live in the light of Christ. That's what I'm saying. That's why it irritates me when pastors climb the pulpit, tell all these stories, and that's it. You don't know who is pointing finger at you right now before your hands start swelling. So any little mosquito that bites you, are rebuking. My hands have been swollen before. And I'll tell the hand, waiting, I, I start thinking, not who did I offend? Where did I hit my hand? Is it a mosquito? Am I reacting to a strange insect bite? There are times my son will contact see my hand. Because of my medical training, I said, you are reacting to something. I pray for him. Say, go and take a tablet of puritin, that antihistamine. Just they like, go. The other day, my daughter was ill. She was sleeping in our room. And she woke up and we talking all kinds of... If you hear the kind of nonsense she was saying. I said, better thank God your father doesn't go to MFM. <laughs> I'm telling you. How are you feeling? There are two things that have made me laugh. If I want to, I have to laugh. I said, how are you feeling? I'm okay. Say, just these little people that are passing under the door. <laughs> you say that in an MFM house. <laughs> you people will pray. You know what I did? I laughed. After a while, I said, Are you feeling hot? He said, No, I think I'm okay, but I think my daughter is feeling hot. I said, You are the daughter. You are the daughter. I said, They're laughing. See the way you're laughing. That's why I laugh about everything. Small guy has a fever. What do you expect? That's what children behave. They talk in their dream when they have fever. They start acute confessional state. It's normal. And if it's not normal, I normalize it. Yes, I, do, no, I don't have any problem with such things. <laughs> After a while, I said, I don't want to hear a word from your mouth again. Close your mouth and sleep. All the visions and revelations ended. Because the chief prophet of the house said, Close your mouth. And sleep. I've told the story before of when Bart entered into my room. Bart. After, you know, when I tell the story, I always like to explain it. It was a hot day. It was where we were living before. The windows are not so big, so we close. Even if they were big, look, the window has screen outside. Mosquito screen, you know, outside. But they were closed because I remember the AC was on. Yet the bat showed up and flew across her more. That's a witch. Is it not a witch? It has to be. Because when I want to give the testimony, praise the Lord. They came out of nowhere. 
Then you start constructing it. They came from the northern wall. That's when your geography will wake up. So the testimony can be sweet. My wife was the first to see the bat. They just said, oh. You just say, hey, see bat. I mean, I just said, where is it? And it, it flew into the wardrobe. I just saw it. You know, she, no, she wasn't telling me that it flew into the wardrobe. So I said, okay. I closed the wardrobe. Bishop was, you know, she, he and his wife came to visit us that day. And we talked to them, entertained our visitors after some time, went back. I took a basket, trapped the four misguided bat, and simply threw it away. As God, who I serve, lives. It was not mentioned in prayer. It was a subject of jokes, just like we are laughing now. The only thing I said to my wife was that, thank God your husband didn't carry you to some churches. Otherwise, you are your children. You can't eat today now. Eat when your enemies are flying. How can you be eating? <laughs> you can't eat. You cannot eat. And the next seven days, you are not eating now. Because it's a different level of enemy. It can pass through the wall. <laughs> Tougher enemies require stronger spiritual battle. Brethren, this is war. <laughs> and you see, that's how Satan gives Christians assignments. A country is falling under their watch. They are not praying about that. They are praying about imaginary enemies. But let me emphasize it again. What, is what, I, what, what, what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm saying, listen, I am not dead trying to tell you that nothing like that happens. That's why I told you a few stories. For you to know and recognize that there are dark powers. I'm just saying we walk in the region of light and they don't come into those areas. So when, I, when my daughter starts talking nonsense, I laugh. I touch her body. I say, it's fever. I do not accept it as a spiritual, as a revelation of the work of darkness in my house. When the fever goes away, everything goes away. When a bat appears in my room, I keep investigating where did it come from. It doesn't cross my mind that a witch penetrated my wall. What gives me the confidence is simple. My life is hid with Christ in God. That's all. So don't tell me unbelievers' stories. Don't use the story of unbelievers to explain my life. My auntie cannot be the reason why I'm not married. I will find another reason. Show me the time they gathered and mentioned my name. I will not accept it. Because you must understand that God is angry when, listen, the word is anger. We displease him when we take another report and ignore his own report. All these reports, you can make sense out of them. That's what I'm trying to explain. Israel went to the promised land. They, oh, they saw the giants. They did not imagine the giants. They stood beside the walls, and the walls disappeared into the, horror, you know, into the skies in their eyes. That's why they said that the walls reached into the heavens. Said so they are fortified to heaven. What's the conclusion? We cannot enter. I know what God said. God said they conspired against me. Many of us are joining the conspiracies against the Lord. That is the problem. If a juju man comes to me today, and says, in three days, you will fall sick. In six days, you will fall sicker. In nine days, you won't see again. On the tenth day, you will die. Except you take a little bit of salt, rub it on your head, and say, Babala will forgive me. 
On the third day, this is what the Lord does. The Lord will allow me fall sick. On the sixth day, the Lord will allow me fall sicker. On the ninth day, I wake up in the morning, I may not see properly. I know what the Lord is doing. Banking. Let me see whether you will take that salt. So, I mean, I, know, I, I, I will understand what I'm fighting. It took cross my mind. Every time I want to think about you, Babala would be that came to my house to make the threat. Once the thought comes to my mind, I will repent before the Lord of the thought. Lord, I am sorry for thinking this man has the power. He said, what if he, he does? Let me tell you the truth. I will rather die knowing that my Jesus is Lord, refusing to acknowledge that somebody else has more power over my life than he does. I won't give you that satisfaction. But guess what? I know as a matter of fact, nobody has that power. Some people, God allows them to see so as to be tempters. You know what they call tempters? Because Balaam, in case you don't know, was not a prophet of God, the way we know prophets of God. He was a spiritual consultant for anybody that bothered to come. Yet, he heard the voice of God. There are times that God allows people to peep into what he is about to do. And for the people he wants to confuse, he lets them go and tell them. Was it? Let me ask you a question. Did Saul not die? No, answer me. Did he not die? The man who came to David to say he killed Saul, was he the one that killed Saul? I don't know whether you are getting my point. Many of the problems you have, Saul died because God was angry with him. He died for the trespass he committed against the Lord. Yet a man, a, a stupid witch, a wizard, you know, are you getting the way I'm applying it now? He wanted to take the credit. He came to David. Nah, I was the one that killed Saul. Many times in our lives, you know that's what witches are doing. We have sinned against God. Our ignorance, our refusal to walk in righteousness, the iniquity we are putting our hands into is getting us into trouble. The one which we discover it and come and use it to steal away our faith. We will not come and say, I'm the reason why you are not making progress. To tell you how Christians are supposed to reason. I told you, my one of our sisters, the son died, little baby. Of course, it was a bad, bad time. People mourn, people feel bad and all of that. Then one woman I came to her house and told her, that, ah, madam, you know the way these home videos? <laughs> Let me tell you, we have found out. What did you find out? That now pointed to one neighbor. Mama Sikira, you know she's a witch. She's the one that killed your son. That was how, now, what I want to tell you now, I'm adding my own to it. That was how, you know, she used to live near this other river before. They go and check it on the 17th of the month. The neighbor's son also died. She goes around killing people's children. Now, I added this last part, too. She didn't put that one. I'm just adding to, the, to let you know the kind of stories you are likely to hear. My sister, when she heard it, in her grief, <laughs> she started laughing. She burst into laughter. She laughed. She said, laughing. He said, Madam, come and start going. I said to her, Listen, no witch can kill my child. My matter is between me and my God. So you, come and start going to your house. That was the end of it. And she felt like she was a do gooder. Listen to me. Those are agents of Satan about to send you. In fact, some of them are marketing agents or false prophets. It's marketing. So, normal question is, what do you want us to do? Say, come. I will take you to one serious prophet. 
And when, the, when you arrive, the prophet can be one that has been told the story or the one that actually has the spirit of divination and knows the story. Listen to me. I'm telling you the operations of the devil. Using the divining spirit will tell you that that boy fell sick on the 12th, right? You will say yes. Shortly after I ate breakfast, ah, yes. First thing he said, no, okay, was a little boy. He started, ah, he started by, by crying and crying. And then you describe everything that happened. You are like, what? Yes, it is them. Who is them? Mama Sikira's people. And they've gotten you. That's it. You are their own now. In case you don't know, that's what they are doing. It's business. This is second level. There, there are some that I told you I know things like that happen. But the second one, I'm telling you that they are businessmen. They are all over town. They've learned a little bit of spirit of divination. They used it to trap people. Because you that came to tell somebody, somebody killed her, her child, what do you want her to do? Kill the other child back? That is, you know, in retaliation. Many Christians are praying to it. That's what their prayer is. When they are saying, every power fighting my destiny, they know the power. It's my neighbor's power. It's my friend's power. It's my auntie's power. So your friend will now come and testify. I killed my uncle. Yes. I killed my uncle. I will be celebrating the death of the sinner. Like I said, I'm not here to tell you what happens and what doesn't happen outside. I am saying that as a Christian, you must learn to interpret your life from God's word. They came to Jesus. Who sinned? Jesus said, neither. What is the issue? Now, this is a new story about this boy's blindness. This little man's, this man's blindness. Why he was born blind. He said the power of God must be seen in him. Jesus was not inferring. I can't start explaining that now. That God deliberately blinded him to get cheap glory. It's not God's character. God was drawing a new narrative for people to understand. That it becomes irrelevant where the problem began if you have the solution. All this diagnosis of who did it is you don't have the solution. Who gave you something to eat? You don't have the solution. Those who have the solution, no, read your whole Bible. Where did Jesus identify who did it? Saw a man filled with evil spirits, cast out the spirits with a word. Saw a boy dead, get up. They say, How many witches are your grandfather's family? Let's begin to neutralize their power. We neutralize them now. We fly, we fly, we jam them, we jam them. They will not be able to keep you dead. Those who have the power don't diagnose who caused the problem. That's what Jesus was saying. All this extend, extended spiritual diagnosis. Some of these they must have gone to medical school, I'm telling you. Because when, oh, the College of Medicine, they teach us what we call history taking. When, when it, listen, if you are sick, just between me and you, don't go to medical school where they have medical students. When they use it to... Oh, no, what I said is not good anyway. Because sometimes... Because they ask so many questions. They are the ones that discover. Because the senior doctor is too impatient. He's so used to it. They will tell We had the lecture when we were in school. He's only a bad doctor. Does not talk to his patients. And examine the patient fully before he makes a diagnosis. Because he was a dermatologist. He's a dermatologist. He says, he's a bad doctor. And all of us like, you must be a bad doctor. Because he doesn't do it. <laughs> patient will just come. And very, very good. The man knows. Guy, the man knows book. Where, where? Just come and say, where is it? Because it's in you know, a skin clinic. 
specialist skin clinic. Where, where is it? On the leg. Put it on the table. Patient will just put, I doesn't mind. Patient will put leg on his table. Say, ah, this is <laughs> very experienced. One look like this. He has told you what the problem is. They told us only a bad doctor. Then they teach medical students to sit down and tell you and ask you, what is the problem? They will tell you what the problem is. When did it start? How did it start? Has it happened before? By the time they finish with questioning you, typical session is one hour. I'm not kidding. No exaggeration. Unless they don't do it well. They will start. Because they're not thinking about you. It's what they will say when they enter to present your case before the judge. <laughs> You know, one of the things we do, very interesting. When we now finish with you, now, now there's what we call family and social history. Is there anybody in your family that has suffered like this before? <laughs> I mean, your father, your mother, or your brothers, and your sisters. You said no. What about your cousins? No, we draw it all. Your aunties, we draw extended family. They are writing everything down. When the student is done, one book has been written on your life because you said you have a headache. Now, pastors have gone to medical school and they have learnt it. Was your grandfather a slave trader? You say yes. That's why your family is breaking down. Did your auntie also get a divorce? Yes. You see? Any of your cousins? Yes. Forgetting that in many societies, now first, sometimes people have, gener- they have societal bad behavior. It has nothing to do with who's a slave trader and who's a tra- slave buyer. It doesn't matter. But they have enough stories to tell. They'll be asking you questions, asking questions. At the end of the day, like I always say, what is now the solution now? The slave trader died like 80 years ago or 150 years ago. What am I supposed to do? And then I said, okay, we'll now go to the village to go and do deliverance. Of what? From the spirit of the slaves that were chained in the back of your father, grandfather's compound. They are still asking for blood. I know what happens. Many people follow and you know what I want to tell you? Another thing I want to tell you. They nev- I've never had one that got any deliverance. By the time you are done, you are not a deliverance pa- patient. You have now been registered. You have a card in the deliverance hospital. You know the way normal hospitals are? Family will have card there. Small picking gets, nobody knows. You go there. Doctor will write it down. Nothing bad, you know. It's normal health care. But hospital, uh, churches now have it too. So if your child is sick... You give anti-malaria, it doesn't go. You give headache medicine, it does not go. Instead of going to normal hospital, you know where we go? Deliverance preacher. Are the slaves back? Yes, they are back. Because you see, your father treated like 100 slaves. All the offering you gave last time took, over, took care of 75. I thought the rest had gone to America and they were not going to come back. But apparently they are back. That's why your child is sick. Guess what? You start paying again. All this diagnosis is for those that don't have the solution. They asked Jesus, who sinned that this one should be born blind? Straight forward. They said, is it him or his parents? He said, neither. He wasn't saying that sicknesses don't have a cause. He wasn't saying that God was looking for cheap glory. That he just blinded this man so he can heal him. That's not God's character. That's cheap. God doesn't do like that. There must have been a cause. But he was saying, I have found a solution. I am the solution. So this detailed description of who started it, who said it to whom, on what occasion, is not necessary. Watch me do this. So that God may take his glory, I must walk the walk of him that sent me while it is day. 
Because the night comes when no man can walk. He bent down, made clay with spittle, put on the man's eyes, go to the pool of Siloam and go and wash. I don't care whether you were the one that sinned, go to the pool of Siloam and go and wash. I don't care whether it was your father, go to the pool of Siloam and go and wash. I don't care whether these witches in your village say you will never see again. Just go to that pool and wash. If you will obey my words, you will see again. Anybody looking for where they buried it doesn't have the solution. Let me say that again. Anybody looking for who buried it and where it was buried does not have the solution. If it has to be uprooted for the problem to go away, then Jesus did not apply his blood to that problem. I hope you're getting my point. I say it categorically, full of divine understanding. You don't need to go to any village. You don't need to go and break down any tree or put any pot, scatter any pot. You don't need it. If you need to break a pot to have deliverance, that's not the deliverance of Jesus. I'll say that to you again. If you need to break a pot, now listen to me, when I say a pot now, you are not the one that, you know, because if you are an evil doer, you have to remove all the evil from your house. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Uh-huh. If you are the one that you, you are cooking things in pot, you have to stop the, you have to stop all this shamanism. Not as if this, the pot scares Jesus. It's just that you have not yet repented. But I'm talking about the common practice that uh, your destiny was put in a pot. We have to go and break it. That is not the deliverance of Jesus. And if you have participated in such a deliverance, let me give you the news. You are still bound. It did nothing to you. If anyone is in Christ, that's what deliverance is. It does not mean Christians don't have problems. I'm just saying the explanation is never one great grandfather buried something. Let's learn it. Let's get, look, let's learn. That's where I began from. To interpret our lives with the word of God. Let's learn to interpret what is going on around us. This culture of always looking for who's responsible is satanic. It's a sign that the pastor does not have a solution. It's a sign. If he had it, he wouldn't be there saying, who sinned? Who cooked what? Who hung what somewhere? Jesus, his power knows who, how to deliver people without going around digging around their father's compounds. That is summary of my message there. The culture of faith. Let me get back to what we're trying to say. Time has, <laughs> time has moved, so I may not be able to get into the thing I want to, but let me just introduce it. So that culture is what we're talking about. When you have faith, it creates a new culture. You see things differently. That's what it means to renew your mind. That's what it means to renew your mind. Henceforth, you are forbidden as a child of God to even let it pass through your mind. Who is holding my destiny? It becomes for you iniquity to think about it. I hope you get my point. That's not a joke. That's not just good preaching. <laughs> you get my point? It's true. Truth. Reality. That's what I'm telling you. For you to imbibe. Now listen to me. Even if, now listen to what I'm going to say. You know, I began by saying that I know such things happen. Even if your father, your mother gave you reliable information that that's where you began from. Once you step into Christ, you explain to them that, as for me, that's not where mine began from. The moment you step into Christ, your own problems are different. There are three things that are the cause of your own problem now. As a believer in Christ Jesus, just three. One is ignorance. 
You don't know what Jesus has done for you on the cross. That is one. You don't know the impact or the efficacy of his blood. You don't understand the meaning of him hanging on the cross and being buried and rising up on the third day. You don't know the meaning. That's the first cause of your problems. Number two is that sometimes we have problems. As believers, that's just it. They are the trials of our faith. If everything works smoothly, everybody will believe too. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Trials happen to separate, like we say, the men from the boys. Those who really believe and those who don't really believe. Those who just come to hear the word, let us test it. Whose lives are not committed to the truth. That's what trials do. It will separate the men from the boys. And third, another reason why Christians have problems is the third one. It's what is called the just recompense of reward for disobedience. If we are doing what is wrong, God's grace, God's mercy does not make it right. The first thing that God does for us if we are doing what is wrong is to teach us what is right. And until you learn what is right, you will be on one spot. I hope you are getting my point. Listen, and there's nobody that can say to God, I have done everything that is right. That was what John meant when they said, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. That's what John meant. What that means is that every time there is something to learn, every time there's an adjustment to make in your life, and if you're on one particular spot, what you should be focusing on is, what are the adjustments I am supposed to make? Not that after some time you now say, I think I should start believing, I think I really need deliverance. You need deliverance from ignorance. You need deliverance from impatience. You need deliverance from bad behavior. Those are just the three things. Not somebody pour oil on you and starts breaking ancestral curses. No, they are not writing the story of your life according to scriptures. Let me emphasize it to believers. That's when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the point he was making. Anybody can have problems. Christians do have problems. It's a cause we are discussing now. Don't let any spirit lie to you to explain to you that your life is not in God's hands now. It's in the hands of witches. Your life is not in the hands of God. It's in the hands of powerful people who know how to control spiritual things. Don't think Jesus should go and learn his work again and die again on the cross if his death cannot deliver me from a witch's pot that my mother, my father delivered, kept my destiny 25 years ago. I have to now go around haunting the pot? Listen, let's know what Christianity is. Christianity is not a joke. All these people do in town, jokes. That is totally not Christianity. And I forbid you in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is by his authority, from participating in any of such things. You must not. If your family calls for deliverance, don't go. Let me tell you, the prophet will say you are the witch. Get ready for it. And if you have the opportunity, tell the prophet. Because it's a fake prophet anyway. It's a false prophet. Tell him that I said, that I said if he mentions your name again, all the problems of your family will come on his head. Should I tell you the truth? He's afraid he won't date. He knows he doesn't have power. I don't know what's my point. He knows his business is doing. When he sees your type, just warn him. Say, if you mention my name again in that place, all the problems that they are looking for deliverance from, I will ask the Lord to send it into your house. 
this jobless charlatan. Guess what? He won't. I know them. He won't date. Like I said to you, when you say such things, eh? When you say such things, the confidence you have in the realm of the spirit. Say it with your own mouth. You believe God's word. The confidence you have in God's word eradicates in the spirit. Even if you have familiar spirits, they'll get away from you. You are looking for trouble in life? Go and kneel down. Join them in the deliverance session. Let one clown start putting a hand on your head. Then just know that now your problems have commenced. I'm not kidding, no. Do I look like I'm joking? I've never been more serious in my life. <laughs> Even though I'm laughing. I'm very serious. Christians, you can't, there are things you don't allow. You now set a date that everybody will go to the village. You too, you go. There are journeys you don't make, people of God. Tell everybody to gather a week after that you are coming. That now you are the deliverance minister. And what do you want to do? You want to teach them the word of God. Open your Bible and say to them, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creature. If you are not in Christ here, put up your hand. We need to pray. That's where you start from. Explain to them the three reasons why true Christians have problems. And that you have been delivered. Listen to me. I've heard all kinds of stories. People have tried to explain to me. I remember one lady I met when we went to do a program somewhere. She, she took my time that day. Told the story here and there. And in my mind, oh girl, you can tell the story forever. You will not be able to persuade me that why you are not making progress is because your family has a curse that you don't truly believe. When she finished talking, were you with me that day? Yes. I said, Apostle, let's pray for her. Because it was not, he didn't listen to the whole gist. Maybe you were doing something. The story she told me. I said, this girl knows so much that I can't tell her anything, in quotes. She feels she knows everything. So I had to keep quiet. But she needs, I mean, she's confused. So I said, all right, what I can do is pray for you. I don't know. That's when I called to say, come, let us pray. We prayed for her. But with all the stories, you're not going to make me shift. Because I've read enough Bible to know that Jesus did not give any allowance for those things. And I think we have a duty these days to put false prophets out of business by teaching the word of truth. Please, you that know the truth, get up and start teaching. In your office, really, I'm serious. Thank God for Nigeria, but not in America. You can use government sitting room <laughs> to preach the gospel. In fact, you get promotion like that. I, 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 I thank God for this country. Really, seriously, start a Bible study in your office. Break time, 30 minutes, twice a week. Everybody will have one hour break, 30 minutes, twice a week. Or, when we close, it's 4 to 4.30. As everybody's closing, come to and so place. Nobody's going to fight you. But you need to liberate people from the... You know, people have turned them. You know? The other day they said in Rwanda that um, Paul Kagame closed how many churches? 7,000. Whatever. He was eh. I said, listen, they should be closed. If you watch them, <laughs> all you need to do is watch this Eastern, Eastern East African TV. What's the name of the other? There are many of them. When you see, I said, Paul Kagame needs to close these people down. If God gave him the power to do it, he should shut them down. But let's just open the process. It doesn't remove the, the wheat. Because I know many of those they call churches are not churches. But my challenge this evening is that those of us that know the truth, let's get up and teach somebody. We can't just sit down there. That's why they are prospering. Because people are actually looking for you know, the answers. 
People are looking for answers. The answer, true deliverance, is people give their lives truly to Christ. They are automatically delivered from every ancestral curse. That's what we are saying. And if they still have any problem in their lives, we'll look for another story to tell about it, based on God's word. We don't use people's stories to validate wrong doctrines. The Lord is good. I have spoken enough. Let me now get back to my message. What did I tell you? Don't worry. I, I know I'll, I'll finish that message next time. Because I've spoken enough. The Lord is good. Now, back to all, Now, I think we just have to pick it up from here. Now, what I wanted to start, uh, continue on today in our... Um, some of you are laughing at me that I spent this amount of time. I never begin to preach my message. That was not my message for today. That was just answering some questions. Apostle, is that not true? If it's true, say amen. <laughs> and I'm sure I've helped one or two people. No, that's how God does. God, he loves people. If you have a question in your heart like that, you came here today. You are the reason why God made me go in that direction. Those who come regularly, they were getting bored as I was talking. They were sleeping. I was seeing God doing like this. That is this pastor. This one you are saying, we know it. I'm sure you're not talking to us. <laughs> so those who come regularly, they are used to these things. But I'm sure some people came today and the Lord needed them to hear this. All right. And just by the way, nobody told me you were coming. Because some people said, ah, I knew she would tell pastor that I would be around today. The she, whoever she is, did not tell me anything. I was just preaching my message, and I got hung up on that one. The Lord is good. Let me not get back to our series, what we have been explaining, why we read those scriptures. Because time is really gone now, so uh, we are going to close shortly. Let me just try and explain what I was trying to say. So, this point we're making, that our faith has its own um, culture, yes. And so, we have been looking at the fact that our relationships, that's what Paul emphasized so much. Over the last few weeks, we have looked at the relationship between husband and wife. We looked at the relationship between um, um, master and servant. That's what we were speaking about last time. What I tried to explain is that that is where our faith must manifest itself. If your faith is not manifesting in those relationships, you are, your faith is not genuine. We have been looking at that. Now, when we began all of the, okay, last time I explained, we, we talked extensively about the culture of um, service that's part of Christianity. I didn't say much about the role of the boss, but that's also, I said briefly about it at the end, that they must recognize equality just like the husband must recognize equality. And the wife's duty is to deliberately submit, not to try and sustain that equality. If you have equality and you want to sustain it, you are going to cause a breakdown. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible said, even though he had equality with God, what he did was to deliberately put it down. It's when you put it down that God elevates you. That's the way it works. We talked about that. So we say in the same manner, the boss must understand that, okay, that people working for you are actually children of God also. They are there not to serve you but to serve God. They are there for you to guide, for you to train, for you to help. You must see them as God's children, fellow heirs, the heirs of Christ, just like you are also. And you treat them just exactly like that. Now, so in all of these relationships, that is how we manifest our faith. Now, when we began to look at those different relationships, there was something I said then, which is what I wanted to do today, but we just went the way we did. I wanted to, as I said at the beginning that where I should have started from, but it was just hot on me the way I went that way was to talk about the general relationship. I don't know why many people remember that. I said at the beginning, when I started looking at this relationship thing, there's a general side of it, because it's not just about how to relate with your wife and your, uh, or relate with your husband. You're talking about how to relate with everybody. I said at the beginning that, allow me to jump that, 
into the personal ones, and at the end, I will come back to the general one. And that's what I, what I intended to do today. And that's why we read those scriptures that we did. Now, so you see what Paul was saying here is still about relationships. He's talking about general relationships now. For example, he talked about, um, from verse 25, he said, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. So you see, he's talking about how to relate with who? Your neighbors. Each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. Anger here, talking about your neighbor, people you relate with. He now said, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if you let the sun go down on your anger, if you allow unforgiveness in your heart, what you are doing is that you are giving room. You are giving the devil an opportunity. Now, he talked about stealing. Somebody who steals must not steal anymore. Again, it's about relationship. It's about recognizing and respecting the private property, the right to private ownership of your neighbor. It's about recognizing that this thing belongs to somebody. There is nothing that you find out there that somebody does not own. So taking what does not belong to you, again, is part of this relationship thing that we are talking about. So let the person go ahead and labor. Now, what is laboring? Labor, again, is relationship. You're, you are laboring. Now, let me just say this quickly. Christians, let's finish reading it anyway. He said, but him also must labor, performing with his own hands that which is good. Notice what he said. So that he will have what? Something, Something to share with one who has need. God did not ordain for us to labor primarily for our own good. He said we must labor so as to have something to share. There's a way most of us look at it, but actually there are two sides to it. We look at it that if I go out and labor, I will earn money. Then I have money to do what? To give. That is true. That is correct. But that's only half. The labor itself is where the giving starts from. I don't know whether you are getting my point. The labor itself is where the giving starts from. It's not just I go and labor, I earn. Then I come out, I have something to give. What Paul was saying is that there's no how, no matter how poor you are, you have something to give to somebody. I may not have cash, but I can offer what? My services. I say to Christians all the time, not Christians, everybody, that listen, your life, you must be known for giving. People shouldn't see you and they're like, what does he want again? If you want to be poor in life, toe that line. When people see you, they're thinking of, what does he want again? What does she want again? When people see you, you know, it's an unconscious thing. They should connect you with a blessing. Look, you don't have to have, you know, it's not as if when you come in, yeah, as soon as you arrive, hey, hey what how are you people doing? Uh, 1,000, 2,000, I'm sharing out money. You may not have that amount of money, and you shouldn't be giving like a moron. Are you getting my point? There are people who give, they give in a spendthrift manner. You know the way you can spend money uselessly. You know that? In the same manner, some people give uselessly. I'm not talking about that now, all right? So we're not even talking about that, okay? That just No. We are saying that you may not have money to give like that, but your presence should be a problem-solving presence. You are getting my point. Let me, let me just give a practical example. Okay, your friend is wedding. You don't have money to contribute. But you may, you know, when you don't have money to contribute, it's because you have time to contribute. You cannot have, you cannot not have money, still not have time. What are, what are you? I don't know whether you're getting my point. You don't have money, you don't have time. Then really, this time around, we have to believe in deliverance. <laughs> Just kidding. 
is either you have money or you have time. Okay, I don't have the 5,000, 10,000 to contribute for the wedding, but I can come on time. I come and see you. Oh boy, when is the wedding? It's next week. Ah, so how are we doing? Which hall are we using? Who is cleaning it? Somebody has to be there by 7 a.m. to make sure the thing is clean. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Okay, ah, 7. No problem now. I, I can be there. So you came to contribute. You didn't bring money. But next time the fellow sees you, ah, let's look for a, a, a Bible name. Paul. Ah, Paul, God bless you. You have come. Yes, you understand? Next time, it, now let me say something to you. It's an unconscious thing. It's unconscious. Your name is just attached to a good thing. So that day, of course, 7 a.m., you are there. You ensure the hall is open on time. The cleaners have come. You ensure the place is properly cleaned. Who are those decorating? Is that what he agreed on? Then you're on the phone calling. Now listen to this. You don't have money to give. But you know, there are some people that, that is what they earn money from, organizing. That is what they earn money from, just organizing events like that. So, somebody's earning money from it, even though you are not earning from your friend, you have saved him a lot of headache. That was what Paul meant. That's part of it. Now, we look at that a lot of times as just, I earn money, I can share. Like I said, that is not wrong. That is definitely part of it. That's probably most of it anyway. But the other part of it we need to understand is that the giving starts with the labor. So even where I am earning money from, let me say something to you in life. You shouldn't be anybody's debtor. That's what the Bible says. You shouldn't be a debtor to anybody. You know what that means? If, if you're working somewhere, and just to just make it simple to you know, calculate, and you're being paid 20,000 naira, your mind is this. If you're not going to be a debtor to anybody, your mind should be, my presence here must make them at least 25,000. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Am I confusing you? That is, now, it may be difficult for you to decide exactly what you are worth. But this, your mindset must be that if I'm taking 20,000 out of them, and the Bible says I must owe no one anything, I must not be a debtor to anybody. That means, therefore, to balance it accurately is hard. So you err on the side of what? Caution. So your mindset must be, if I'm getting 20 out of here, they, my presence must be worth at least 25 to them. Let it be that if I leave to have the thing I'm doing done by somebody else, we cost this company at least 25,000 naira. That must be your mindset. And you should take joy in when the man is making more money from your services that he's paying you. Don't grumble. The typical worldly thing is that I know how much he's making. Out of anger. Are you getting my point? But the Christian thing is that, good, my presence is valuable. He's owing me as far as God is concerned. That is what a Christian, that's why a Christian reasons. That's why God could pay Jacob back. Because as far as God was concerned, Laban was owing Jacob. So one day God did arrangement and transferred all the wages of Jacob to him. I'm saying something here. So you see, these are general principles of life. How we relate with life. Not just a specific individual. When you use the word neighbor, we are describing how we relate with life generally. So anything I'm doing, like I say, if I, if, even if I'm selling something to you, 
it must be the fact that you are you are buying from me must be saving you money. That is, I'm not allowed to withhold information from you because I know if you had the information, you won't spend the money. That's evil. That's a matter of fact. You know, today my wife and I were discussing. You know, there's something we wanted to buy online. First day, we put it, you know, put it in your shopping cart. Uh, where is the card? Where is the card? We did not pay. Next day, are you going to pay now? Why can't you pay for me? We did not pay. Third day, so finally, I sat down. I needed one of the stuff there. She needed like three. So I now said, okay, this thing, I don't think I need it actually. I've thought about it. She now said, ah. She said, in that case, really, I don't need the other things. It's because you were buying. I said, let's just put everything in the same shipment. I said, all right. So now, this is where I'm going. And I said, this is a problem with being impulsive. Now, when I saw this, I liked it. I said, but because I took time, I realized that I really didn't need it. I'm just spending the money because I have it to spend. So I'm going somewhere. So I reason I said, this is why people who want you to buy... They like to push you because they know once you think about it, you may change your mind. <laughs> you are getting the principle. So I said to her that, look, marketing like that is actually evil as far as God is concerned. You are not trying to help me. That's why I tell Christians, sorry, I'm about to get there again. I know it is true that we should provoke one another unto love and to good works. But we have to be careful. Nobody should put you under pressure when it comes to money things. If you don't give that offering right now, Satan will change your mind for you. Pastor, it's not Satan that's changing my mind. It's common sense that's changing my mind. And whether I give it now or not, if my mind is going to be changed, I will get discouraged and I will not be unhappy. And I will not get any reward for it anyway. So I tell Christians, the Bible says, give as you have what? Proposed. Learn to think. And I'm convinced, at least that's been my experience. On the average, the more I think about something, the more I'm able to give towards it. If you want to use impulse for people like me, you get less. So I give right now, I give right now. I give you 5,000 naira. But if you let me think, and I realize that, ah, this thing you are saying, it makes a lot of sense. So do you know, I can say, okay, how much is everything? How much do you have? If it's something I can afford, I give you the whole thing. Now, back to the point I'm trying to make. So that day I told my wife, I said, listen, it was yesterday. I said, yesterday, earlier on this morning. I said, this is the problem. The world wants to push you. The way Christian business reason, you are not supposed to want to take advantage of people's weaknesses. When I read Miracles Happened by Mary Kay, there was something she said which impressed me. She said that once a customer ordered a particular line of products, so they checked the customer's records, ah, and said, no, something's wrong. We don't think you are using this thing the way we say you should use it. If you were using it like that, it shouldn't have finished. Your last order was like maybe six weeks ago. This thing is designed to last like three months. Why are you ordering again? Now, she was trying to market something, actually. When she, was, she was trying to explain a particular trend. So that's when they found out that the woman had confessed that, actually, my husband uses it too. <laughs> there are a lot of, women, a lot of men, men are using their products, but they don't confess, you know, makeup, you know, cosmetics. Maybe some of these are so-called age-fighting things. Something done on me there. Now look at it. She was concerned. An average person is happy that you are buying more. But they're like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't be buying more. What we have given you should last you three months. Why are you ordering in six weeks? Henry Ford started giving um, warranties. Because he said, your name, is, I know the car is yours, but your name is not on it. 
I don't know whether you get what I'm saying. Like if you drive now, what's in your car? Toyota. Kia. It's in the same manner he said, what's in your car that you bought from me? Ford. Your name is not Ford. It's my name. So if he breaks down on the road, it's my integrity that's at stake, not yours. So Henry Ford, actually, when he started making cars, his desire was that you will buy one and only one. The idea, why should you change it? Did it spoil? If it spoils, call me. He opened service centers all over the U.S. That the car I sold to you is not supposed to spoil. His dream was that my engines should last forever. That was, he, listen, interestingly, these two men I just gave us, these two people I gave us examples, Mary Kay and Henry Ford, they were voted by an American university as the greatest entrepreneurs of the last century. One male, one female. But you see their mindset different. See, um, we're talking Christian culture. Uh, For time's sake, I'll end it here. We'll pick it up again from here next time. I'm talking about this don't steal, labor. Stealing is not just bring out a gun, put up your hands, give me your phone, otherwise I shoot you. That is the worst type of stealing. But there are times we steal legitimately. Have you ever asked yourself the difference between thou shall not covet your neighbor's goods and thou shall not steal? Are both of them no commandments? Thou shall not steal is a commandment. Which, which one is that one? Let's open to it. Exodus chapter 20, quickly. I want to just explain something here. Then we'll close. But the Lord will, will help me next time. I will pick it up from here. Verse 15. Thou shall not, that verse 15 is what? You shall not steal. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let me ask you a simple question. This coveting, how do we interpret it most of the time? It's desire, right? But let me ask another question. These commandments, were they meant to be enforced by Israel or not? They were meant to be enforced. Next question. How are you supposed to know what I desire is in my heart? I hope you are getting my point. If you have other gods, we know how we will catch you. We see where you go to worship. We see where you go to bow down. That was why Job said, I could secretly have been stretching my hand to the moon. Nobody could enforce that. So when Moses said, thou shalt not covet, he was not talking about thou shalt not desire. He couldn't have been because it was meant to be enforceable. And nobody can check what is inside my heart. You find that to covet let me summarize like this. It means to steal legally. To steal is to illegally take. To covet is to legally take. It's not about desire. You see what are you talking about? This is how you covet your neighbor's goods. He comes to you. goes, hey, please, lend me a millionaire. He says, what will you give me as collateral? He says, ah, what do you need as collateral? Eh? This car you just bought, you can... You see, you like it. The car is worth 2.5 million naira. He's broke. He's hungry. Then you make him sign an agreement, see? Within six months, if I don't get my money back, the car is mine. And because he's desperate, he signs the agreement. You know he can't pay. You know the state of his business. Never going to pay. At the end of six months, you take the car. Legally, it's yours. Legally, it's yours. It's an agreement, true of us. But God said you're a criminal. You have taken advantage of his weakness. 
to legally collect what belongs to him. That was why in Israel, they were forbidden from charging interest when your neighbor borrowed money from you to meet a personal need. Because that was the system by which they coveted. Now, you know the meaning of coveting now. Legally deprive somebody of something. So Christians, when we say thou shalt not steal, we're talking about the Christian culture. It covers all of these things. So I'm walking somewhere, my desire in my heart, that's how I'm reasoning. If I'm getting 10,000 from here, uh uh-uh, God shouldn't balance accounts and they're the ones doing me a favor. Accounts should be balanced and I'm the one doing them a favor. That the service I'm rendering, if I'm leaving, for them to replace it maybe with a private company or somebody else, it should cost them more than this. Like I said, we're not being legalistic. We're talking about having what? An attitude, a mind, a mindset. That's the culture of Christianity. Like I said, what we began today, I wanted to explain today, is the general principles. Thou shalt not, that is, let him that steal, steal no longer. Let him walk. All those kind of, don't lie. How do people tell, you know, you know, <laughs> there's a joke we used to play when we were young those days. You want to lie about something, you, you give facts and create a wrong impression. He <laughs> said, I'm, I'm at home. He I'm in independence layout. Why? You can't let them know you're at home at that time. So you will say, I'm in independence layout. Because independence layout could mean a bus stop. It could mean, I mean, assuming you're a marketer. You're a banking officer, you're a marketing. So when your manager says, where are you? Ah, I'm here there packing yam and egg in your mouth at 10 o'clock. So you check. <laughs> and listen, this is what makes it lie. You know the impression you want to create. <laughs> you know what Jesus said? Those who follow me, their righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Ah. <laughs> Being a Christian, it's not a joke at all. If you see where, that's why I've won Christians. Don't go to God and say, I have given God. Say, <laughs> if now accounting won't begin to do, boy, you don't die. Then you're gone. You're dead meat. You want us to be doing accounting? I will bring paper. Say, Lord, thank you for the integrity of my heart. I don't lie. I, and then just like, yeah, don't say it again. <laughs> because even though you never gave factual lies, the intention to deceive is normal with you. <laughs> Christian culture. Let us pray. If you are blessed, they give me an amen. amen. Now that blessing will stay with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. It will not depart from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now listen, Christianity is not about struggling. It's about accepting divine truth and that spirit enters into you and changes you into what God made you to be. You have a new spirit in you if you have given your life to Christ. It was created after God in righteousness and holiness of truth. We read that from that Ephesians chapter 4 now. That spirit will manifest in your life as you pay attention to the word. The word you have heard today, therefore, will activate a new thing in your life in the name of Jesus. You are a better worker than you ever were before. Say amen if you believe it. You are a better husband than you ever were before. You are a better wife than you ever were before. You are a better worker than you ever were before. And you are a better boss than you ever were before. You are a better neighbor than you ever were before. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now this is a prayer I pray for you and it's a prophetic word. Your neighbors will feel the Christ in you. Your friends will feel the Christ in you. Your co-workers will feel the Christ in you. Your husband will feel the Christ in you. Your wife will feel the Christ in you. Your children will feel the Christ in you. 
Your parents will feel the Christ in you. Amen. Now listen to this. This nation will feel the Christ in you. Amen. You will be a sower of faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Many people so unbelief. They don't believe anything is happening. But believe me, things are happening. But beyond the fact that things are happening, our faith will make more happen. Amen. Your faith will make more happen. Amen. You are a sower of faith. Amen. You are a prisoner of hope. Amen. Now, as a prisoner of hope, you are somewhere you don't want to be, but you still have hope. Amen. And you will step into your liberty in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not about staying in prison. It's about your hope coming to pass. Amen. That's what I mean when I talk about being a prisoner of hope. Return to your stronghold. He said, you prisoners that still have hope. God is bringing double your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. This week, as you travel, goodness and mercy will protect you. Amen. The angels of God will guard you. Amen. No evil will befall you. Amen. No plague will come near your dwelling place. Amen. Listen, no accident will take your life. Amen. Your life has been redeemed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Long life is your portion. Amen. I'd like to pray for those who are ill. If there's any way paining you, put a hand there. I want to pray. In the name of Jesus, all those hands that are placed in one place or the other, I command the spirit of healing to pass through those hands into that body in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you because you delivered us from sickness on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, every affliction has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, we say sickness, you can't stay in Jesus' name. Amen. See, I want us to pray for somebody. Because I just started doing that now. Put your hand where your friend is hurting. Your brother, your sister, somebody who you dearly love. Just put your hand. If they are hurting the chest, put your hand on your chest. You are not sick, but you want, I want you to transfer that blessing to your father at home, to your mother at home, to your son at home, to a friend, a dearly beloved one. I'm not saying somebody you watched on television you don't know, unless God puts a special body on your neck, on your heart for such people. But somebody you know, your loved one, your wife, she's not here. Your husband, he's not here. You know? Your younger one, your senior brother. But you know where they are hurting. They broke a leg. They have cancer in the breast. They have, in the, they have a problem in the kidney. If you don't know where kidneys are, it's on your sides like this. You can just put your hand on the side. You know? The way my hand is right now. That is where kidneys are. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, we call upon your healing power to manifest right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. In that name, I rebuke pain. Amen. I rebuke every affliction. Amen. I speak to kidneys to wake up. Amen. I speak to stomachs to be healed. Amen. I speak to brains to be corrected. Amen. I speak to hearts be strengthened. Amen. I speak to bones heal. Amen. Receive strength. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. I speak to problem eyes be corrected. Amen. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears open. Amen. Everything that disease has spoiled, recover. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Amen. we lift up the name of Jesus over all ailment. Amen. We say, You are the healer. Yes. I am the Lord that healed thee. I took your pain, your sickness, your troubles to the cross. I nailed them to the cross. I put them in the grave, and they did not rise up again. When I rose up, it was a sign that you are well. That is the name of Jesus we are lifting up. And we receive the manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we give you thanks. Let's just wave our hands and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we have prayed.